0: Welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind, a show dedicated to the love of animation and feeling like a kid again. Let's go back in time to when Cats defended Third Earth. Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. A masked duck protected the streets of St. Canard. I am the terror that flaps in the night. And knowing was half the battle. Yo, Joe! Let's go back with Saturday Morning Rewind and your host, Tim Nidell. Hello everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of Saturday Morning Rewind. Of course, my name is Tim Nidell. I am your host for this episode. And speaking of episode, I'm going to say it once again, this is easily one of my most favorite recent interviews because I have the one and only Susan Egan. On the episode today and of course you know her as the voice of Meg from Hercules
1: so (laughs) did they give you a name along with all those rippling pectorals
0: and I loved her as Lynn from spirited away
1: now keep on your toes and if you need anything ask me okay
0: and she was also Belle in the original Broadway production of Beauty and the Beast and we talk about all that and so much more in this amazing interview but before I play I do want to thank my patreon supporters for the month of May Thank you so much, Mike Clemens, Gemma Bright, and Tory Garvin. You guys are awesome. And if anybody listening wants to help out, just go to SaturdayMorningRewind.com, click on the donation tab, and you'll find all the information right there. You can do a one time donation or a monthly donation through Patreon. And also make sure to check out my YouTube channel, it's my personal vlog channel. Just type in my name, Tim Nydell, N Y D E L L, you will find it. I got Disney trips on there, I got convention trips a lot of 80s and 90s related videos. I think you guys are really gonna like it, so make sure to subscribe. I think that's pretty much all I needed to promote on this episode. Again, thank you so much for listening, and here is my interview with Susan Ian. So how are you doing? You know, I saw the video that Disney shared of you singing I Won't Say in your home. Quarantine edition, that was epic.
1: (laughs) I'm so glad that you liked it. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, if anybody's going to figure out what to do during quarantine, it's going to be the Disney company, right? How do they keep people's spirits high? How do they create content? And I don't know if you saw the uh, the family special that they did on ABC last, I guess, a couple weeks ago now with all the celebrities doing sing-alongs. So they had called me um, before that saying we want to do an online campaign immediately following like can you do i won't say i'm in love and i said well it's not a solo so can i pull in my broadway princess party they're like of course you can so so that's what we did and my princess party besties all put on togas and and self-filmed and uh Benjamin edited it all together and we sent it off to Disney. And yeah, it's, I just, it's so funny.
0: Before it got to them. I was wondering, how are you going to do that? Are you going to be alone or what? But yeah, it turned out great.
1: Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you. You're welcome.
0: So my show is all about going back and reliving your childhood. I started doing it because I love the animation I grew up with in the eighties and nineties. I like to ask my guests, what kind of childhood did you have? Did you have a normal one? Did you enjoy cartoons, stuff like that?
1: Yeah, I had a great childhood. My parents were awesome. I um, I grew up about 15 minutes away from Disneyland.
0: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so
1: it's like I won the lottery. And my mom would take us to the park once a year for sure. And um, that was before people had annual passes. I mean, it was just, it was so lucky to be able to go. I grew up in the 80s before there was... You know, a streaming service or anything. We sort of um, would watch Disney movies when they were re-released. You know, I mean, I I was born in 1970, so growing up in the 70s and then 80s, um, so very different than today. So the ability to go to Disneyland was was pretty awesome, and uh, and I was super lucky. I did watch cartoons. I watched a lot of cartoons. I also watched a lot of movie musicals, like the old ones from the 40s and 50s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and loved them. So like Singing in the Rain or oh, yeah. um, Wizard of Oz, these yep. kinds of things. Um, American in Paris, uh, just just great musicals. And it's sort of, you know, that I grew up kind of doing both, you know, combined together. You did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: what was your favorite thing at Disneyland?
1: Oh, so I was the youngest of three. So. It was back in the day when there were still A B C D E tickets. It wasn't just this pass to get you on any ride, but my older brother and sister had no interest in going on the A and B rides because those were the baby rides, and so I never went on Alice in Wonderland or Peter uh, you know Peter Pan or the Dumbo ride. As a child, I was I was taken on the Matterhorn and Space Mountain and all the crazy roller coasters, <laughs> which I loved. But it wasn't until I was a senior in high school and we had uh our senior party at Disneyland that my friend Aaron said um you know you've you've had this you know lapse in your childhood, and I'm now going to take you on all those kitty rides <laughs> and so at eighteen, I finally got to go on you know those those rides the snow white ride, which is very scary by the way it is
0: it yes. is." <laughs> Yeah, I remember taking my my little one on that one. And yeah, it's 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 scary for them. It's dark. <laughs> I think my favorite of all the kitty rides is the uh, Pinocchio ride.
1: Oh, I love it. We always loved and the only kitty ride that my my sister and brother would want to go on was Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Yeah. Okay. Isn't that yeah. funny? It's not even really disney if you think <laughs> that about one doesn't
0: it. get enough love like it should so that's pretty cool
1: is it still there have they replaced it Like no and they really haven't updated it
0: much away. either it's still pretty much the same look that it was in the 80s it really has not changed at all for Isn't that ride funny. at least
1: well if it works it works
0: exactly exactly <laughs> so is that when you got the uh acting and musical bug was by watching those old
1: i think so yes so i started out um really little wanting to ice skate and my mom saying, you have to wait till you're five. So when was I asking? Like I was three and four, I guess so. And when I was five, I started ice skating and the rink was um, about a half an hour away from our house. And so my mom and I would kill time in the car listening to musical theater. And so I was listening to shows like, like Barnum and Evita, which is actually inappropriate for a child of that age, but (laughs) I didn't know that yet. Annie, um, all kinds of shows. And, and so then... (laughs) Uh, You know, I didn't travel very far when I started looking at what music to actually skate to and all my competition music was to these, these musical theater pieces. And when I stopped skating and had a lot of time to fill in my calendar, I was probably, you know, 12, 13. um, My best friend was the star of our school and, and she said, you should audition for the musical because you've had so much ballet because I'd had a lot of dance for the skating. And it was just the natural next step. I loved it. And she wanted to have voice lessons. And so her mom drove one way. My mom drove one way. And we happened upon a great teacher. And I improved and just really found um, my calling with wow. that.
0: And what age was that?
1: Yeah, probably, uh, I started voice lessons at 14. Oh, man. Yeah.
0: Wow. That's awesome. When I was 14, man, I don't know what I was doing. Nothing like that, though
1: but I was just for school musicals. Like I wasn't doing anything professional or anything like that. It was just, you know, it was something fun to do. And, uh, and I just fell in love with it.
0: My oldest daughter, she's uh, 15 now. She just turned 15. She loves Broadway, loves musicals. And she is addicted to, which ones? Uh, The Beetlejuice musical. Oh, yes. Um, Phantom the Opera. And I I hear those over and over. And uh, Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, it's I heard so those good. over and over and over again. Did you guys just stream
1: the Phantom of the Opera? Because they were yes. showing it for free. Yeah,
0: we had yeah. the Blu-ray too. We had the same exact that Blu-ray, but we watched the uh, YouTube as well.
1: Sierra was so great.
0: So tell me about the audition process when you first started to audition for the Beauty and the Beast Broadway performance.
1: Okay, so it's wacky because I didn't want to go to the audition because I had never seen the movie and I thought... Well, that's stupid to put a cartoon on stage. I was super snobby. I love Sondheim. <laughs> and um, <laughs> also, the description of the character was like, the most beautiful girl in the village. <laughs> like, I am not the most beautiful girl in the village. Almost anybody is more beautiful than this girl. <laughs> no, And um, uh, no, it's really true. It's okay. I, I, you know, I was getting cast in roles for like the girl next door, like not not the beauty. um, But... My agent just said, you know, you've never met that casting director. You should go. He casts a lot of other things. And I had my heart set on a couple different musicals that were casting that season. But I finally went to the Beauty and the Beast audition. And apparently I was at the final day of their initial round of auditions. And I guess I was different enough because I'd never seen the movie that I had line readings that surprised them, which worked to my advantage. But I'm innately similar enough to Paige O'Hara that it wasn't such a departure from what Paige did so beautifully in the movie but I think a lot of the girls had sort of studied what Paige did and came in mimicking it which kind of is like a Xerox of a Xerox like it takes it takes a little bit of the authenticity away and so Paige is now a good friend of mine but I can see like oh we do have similar voices and you know we're we're similar in in our in many aspects of ourselves but For whatever reason, I had a certain take on the character. And also, the musical is an hour longer than the movie. And so there was a lot of new material that you couldn't go to the source material to emulate. And I think that helped as well. Then the final audition was three days in a row. The first day was singing and dancing and acting for the musical director, the director, the choreographer. And that was great. And then the last day was like 35 Disney executives in the audience including the ceo at the time and the studio chief so it was michael eisner jeffrey katzenberg wow um everybody was there roy disney might have been there i'm not even sure everybody but i didn't know who those people were so i didn't really know to be that nervous but the second day i had to audition for alan manken oh and my it was gosh only alan manken behind that table and i knew who he was <laughs> and to this day i remember walking in the door i remember seeing him And I remember walking out the door, but I have no idea what transpired for those like seven minutes that I was in that room. But it was enough to get me to the final callback. And and then, um, yeah, and then I ended up booking it crazy.
0: What was Alan like back then?
1: Same as he is today. Alan has always been one of the kindest, most supporting people in this industry. At the time, you know, he was a he was already a legend to me because Little Shop of Horrors is my favorite musical and I was obsessed with him. Um, he had also already won a bunch of Academy Awards for music from Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast, obviously, and, and Little Mermaid and <clears throat> had so much in the works. But to work with him, he was just very kind and would kind of get like an impish grin and laugh and say, oh, my gosh, Susan, isn't as exciting. We're making our Broadway debuts. And it would sort of remind you like, oh, gosh, he didn't have a Broadway show yet. Beauty was That's his crazy. first Broadway show. Isn't that insane? Wow. So crazy. And he was just kind and still is just incredibly kind, really funny, um, humble, a real collaborator. um, Just genuine. Do you know? I mean, it's really a lesson that you can be an icon and be super down to earth and kind. He also has two daughters. He's raised two beautiful daughters and I have two daughters. So these days, if I see him, I just ask for advice (laughs) because I'm in those teenage years.
0: (laughs) How old are your kids?
1: hmm 110, 113. So okay. heading right yeah. into it. Yeah. And Alan, Alan's daughters are done. Like, he did it. And they're wonderful. <laughs> so I'll take any advice he'll give.
0: Now, you finally did see the movie, right? Beauty and I the Beast? I did.
1: Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, after the final audition, um, which was like seven hours in this theater, I went wow. home and I was just completely exhausted because it was three days in a row for, for that final callback. And uh, I was so zonked, and um, my agent called a couple hours later and said I'd booked the gig, and could she give my phone number out to Rob Roth and Matt West, who were the director and choreographer? And I'm like, of course you can. They immediately called, and we were all giddy together. We were so excited. And um, they told me something pretty wonderful. I, I had had the chance to read with all the other Gastons and all the other beasts, and I was so curious, because to me it was so clear it had to be Burke Moses, and it had to be Terrence Mann as Gaston and The Beast, respectively. And when they told me, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's Burke Moses, it's Terrence Mann, they said, actually, you know, we had all those Disney executives there. We had all the designers there. We had, you know, all the creative staff there, the writers there. And we were all, we took an hour to go get dinner. And then they all came back and they expected to have to duke it out and fight for their favorites. And that they'd win some battles, they'd lose some battles, right? On casting. And they went down with every single character and every single character with all 50 of those people was unanimous. Wow. He said, we cast it in five minutes. I bet you that I never said, happens. Isn't that insane? <laughs> but I mean, when I read with Terrence Mann, he was amazing. When I read with Burke Moses, he was so belligerent he was perfect <laughs> he was like the worst guy ever in the funniest most wonderful way like he was Gaston. on it had to be them and I'm so glad that it was that clear because it was a magical cast I mean Gary Beach as Lumiere and Beth Fowler as Mrs. Potts like Heath Lamberts as Cogsworth like it was it was obvious to me and I'm glad that it was to them but anyway After I hung up the phone with Matt and Rob, I didn't know what to do with myself. It's like eight o'clock at night and my head is spinning and um, I walked to Blockbuster because this is 1993 (laughs) and I rented the movie and I got a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream and I went home to my apartment in Harlem and I sat with my dog and we watched this movie and then I freaked out because she's on screen the whole time. Yeah,
0: yeah, she really is. (laughs)
1: I hadn't realized quite how big that role <laughs> was. And I'm like, I am so glad that I hadn't seen it before because I think I would have been, it would have made me more nervous.
0: Yeah, yeah. exactly. And did it change your performance at all?
1: after no, watching No, I never it? watched it again. Um, I've seen clips since then, but I've never sat down and watched the whole movie. Again, what I got was why it was nominated for an Oscar. Exactly. I, I mean, Paige was brilliant. Robbie was brilliant. I, I, I mean, everybody was perfect. Of course, you know, Angela Lansbury, for goodness sakes. Um, Jerry Orbach but I also knew what had worked for me was was bringing a fresh take so like I got the flavor I got what what Paige did and I honored that for sure and then got to bring it to sort of Bell 2.0 you know because there was this hour of new material there's new music new scenes um, we got to delve deeper in what happened in the relationship between Belle and the Beast. And then, of course, with the live action, that's Belle 3.0. And Emma got to do the same thing, you know, as yeah. she should. Yeah.
0: Is this what opened the door for you to voice Meg? Or did you actually, actually have to audition for that as well? You
1: would think, oh, my God, I wish. <laughs> Are you saying, did they just offer it to me? No. You would think that it would have been the door opening into animation, but actually because I was playing Belle for them, they wouldn't let me audition for Meg because the character is so different. Now of course I wanted to do an animated feature because now I understood how Disney worked and I understood the timeless nature of an animated feature and that Broadway is amazing, but it happens in real time and then it's gone, you know, by 1030 at night. So they were auditioning Hercules that happened to be the next movie. And they were looking for uh, an actress to be both the singing voice and speaking voice. Cause it had been several films since they'd had that. Yeah. And so they were looking in the Broadway community. And so immediately my agent submitted me and they said, Oh, that's really sweet. But no, you're not right for the role. She's jaded. She's sarcastic. She's sexy. She's um, she's Barbara Stanwyck in the lady Eve. And they didn't know that I knew what that meant because I'm obsessed with the movies from the thirties and forties, as I told you. And So I had to beg. And honestly, they only let me audition because they had to see me at the theater every night and it was just to (laughs) shut me up. And so they let me come in that room for five minutes, knowing it was going to be a complete waste of their time. And it was the scene where Meg meets Herc for the first time. And there's a certain cadence to the way those mobster gals talked in the 30s and 40s and the script was so well written that it just lent itself to it but if you didn't understand the reference of barbara Stanwyck and the lady eve then you might say megara my friends call me meg well at least they would if i had any friends so uh, do you have a name along with that but I understood that the cadence was Megra. My friends call me Meg, at least they would if I had any friends. So they give you a name along with all those rippling pectorals. And it's this sing-songy, if you need me, just whistle. You know how to whistle, don't you? You pucker up your lips and blow. It's Lauren Bacall. It's Betty Davis. It's Joan Crawford. And it's one of my favorite moments because we were in this dance studio in New York City. And it's all the usual suspects. It's the same musical director. It's the same, a lot of people um, that had cast me as Belle and their little heads popped up, and they're like, Susan, 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 I go, I was trying to explain to you guys, when I'm on stage as Belle, I am totally acting, but Meg is right where I live, like, it's right where my voice naturally sits, the sarcasm is true to form, um, you know, I really have to stretch to be the ingenue, but it's not who I innately am, wow. and they just went, who knew, okay, and um, and that recording, there's no callbacks, that recording is the callback, so that recording on that cassette tape, thank you so much, 1994, um, progressed and finally a year and a half later, I was in LA doing Beauty and the Beast and Michael Eisner's walking down the hallway and he's like, Susan, great audition for Hercules and I'm like, oh, I've made it to Eisner, you know, but it's been like 13 months, 14 months and then I was cast and, um, and got to record it and it was completely thrilling and, and lovely and um, Alice Dewey, the female producer, love a lady, um ron and john the directors again yeah. working with alan mankin this time with david zippel it was just total total dream time and also an impeccable cast I mean, oh no
0: kidding yeah tell me about that cast i mean you got to record a little bit with tate and james didn't you? Tate, yeah you? so
1: probably several sessions with tate and then um a couple sessions with jim woods um and then the rest of them i didn't meet until the premiere like i never met danny devito until the premiere it's you crazy know. huh i know isn't it funny or Bobcat, and but we did so many specials about the premiere that I became really close with Bobcat. Um, Matt Frewer is hilarious, um, yeah. you know, yeah. I, so I got to sort of see people then.
0: I met Bobcat once, I was in Hollywood at a um voice actors rock event. You may have heard of it, I maybe had, I think it was like four years ago. So I was in the VIP section. He walks over to me, puts out his hand, is like, Hey, I'm Bobcat Goldthwait. It's like, duh, I know who you are. What?
1: He's so funny too and so bright. He's a great director, by the way.
0: Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. I love Bobcat. Yeah. Yeah,
1: me too.
0: I hear that James Woods, he was so passionate about Hades. What was it like recording with that passion of his?
1: So I had in high school seen um Salvador. Had you ever seen Salvador, the movie where he long time like ago Yeah. yeah. So i had seen that like when i was a teenager and so i am expecting this really intense really scary powerful incredible actor yep. and i was pretty intimidated walking into that session like oh my god i'm just a girl who like sings and tap dances <laughs> like how am i gonna hold my own with this consummate academy award-winning actor and then he was the zaniest wackiest person He, he was Robin Williams. Like he was bouncing off the walls like a crazy person. And the way they have you do it is you, you have to record the scene as they wrote it. Right. And you have to record it with no overlap so that they can make cuts in between the lines and do what they need to do with animation. But as soon as you get what they call a clean take that they're happy with, they then let you go to town. You can overlap and speak like a normal conversation. You can improvise, (laughs) And that's when the madness began. <laughs> and all of that, Meg, Meg, my little Peg, my little Nutmeg, my little—that's de- all just Jim Woods. That that was not in the script. That's just him being wackadoo. But you still have to accomplish what the scene wants you to accomplish, which is like, are we going after this guy? Or are we not going after this guy? Right? But I'm I'm waiting for like entry to say a line. I'm I'm waiting for him to stop talking long enough so that I can interject, and I'm he's just going off on the microphone. And I finally look to like John and Ron in the booth and they look at me and they shrug their shoulders and they roll their eyes. They're like, I, I know, like this is, this is what we've been dealing with for a year. And so I finally turned to Jim and go, are you finished your oneness? And you can't hear them because it's silent, but I could see John and Ron and Alice like laughing in the booth because like nobody has been able to tell Jim to stop talking long enough. Like, and he did, he stopped. And then I got my line in and they ended up keeping it in the movie. I was so excited, (laughs) but he was inspiring. He's so perfect. And he just played the devil, like this fast talking car salesman, like just slimy and funny and scary. And I mean, nobody could really have done that the way that he did it. They went through a lot of actors, by the way.
0: That's what I've heard. Yeah. 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 I'm so, so glad that he did it because just like the genie with Robin Williams. I could not see anybody else doing that.
1: Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. He was like, like Robin, I mean, just iconic in, in that role. And yep. they had written it for Jack Nicholson, oh, who of right. course had already played the devil with, in a movie with Susan Sarandon and Cher and Meryl Streep, you know, and was so perfect, but also so on the nose, like he would have played it like the devil. Yeah. Um, then they went to John Lithgow. When Jack turned it down, and I think they started recording with John, and it just wasn't quite scary enough. So it's like John obviously has the comedic timing, but Jim had both. Yep. Do you know? I mean, like he's got that crazy temper that can explode, but then this comic timing that is beyond. Yep. Yeah.
0: What's great is listening to you now. Like you said, you you sound just like Meg. It's amazing. That's where my voice sits. Yes. Do you get recognized much as Meg? (sighs)
1: You know what? Kids, kids have the best ears. I remember I was doing a sitcom several years ago and a kid on the set is like, are you the voice of Meg? I go, I am. Like, how did you know that? You know, I figured like IMDB'd me or something. He's like, you just sound like her. I'm like, God, you have a great ear. (laughs) Yes.
0: So then you, after the movie, you came back for the TV series, didn't you?
1: So the TV series was a teenage Herc. So it was before he met Meg, which was a bummer for me but the team putting the series together they were so wonderful and marvelous they found a way like for three different episodes over the course of it for it to be current adult Herc with flashbacks and so um so I got to do that and I got a song I got to do all kinds of things I got to work with Tate again it was great
0: yeah yeah because I know he did I talked to him I think it was a few months ago now such a great guy
1: such oh so a great, sweetheart right? yeah And he sounds just like Hurt, doesn't he? He does.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He really, really does. And then you also did the uh, Kingdom Hearts video games. What is a video game session like? How different is it for you to record that?
1: A video game is different because you basically just have all these alt, what they call alts. So it's like depending on what the player's doing, you have alternate lines. And so you have to play a scene in a way that all of these alts can work depending on the interactive nature of the game itself but it's really really cool and and i'm so glad i did it you know um jody benson's a really good friend of mine i do a lot of concerts with her and when i was cast as meg she called me up she says listen i'm gonna give you a piece of advice right now and you have to follow it she says you know don't ever let anybody else voice the character she says i don't care if it's for two pennies for something you do it you be the voice because once they find somebody else they'll go to somebody else and it just becomes diluted like page Has voiced every aspect of Ariel, whether it's a little, you know, a baby toy or or whatever, and and I followed that advice. So it's like the second they call for Kingdom Hearts, I'm like, I'm in. Plus, any chance to revisit Meg, who doesn't have this sort of like brand that Ariel has, you know, it's it's super fun. But even with with Belle, um, a couple of years after I did the Broadway show, they called and asked if I would. Like, voice different bell things for princess CDs for toys and things like that. And I just jumped on it because it's just so fun to get to do that and to be able to press that Barbie's hand and have your voice come out of it. (laughs) It's just like, Herc, I'm an action figure.
0: Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite non Disney animated movies is Spirited Away. I just adore that movie. I remember the first time I saw it, you know, I was watching it with my little one. She was probably just like maybe one when it came out. And of course you were in there as the voice of Lynn and yes. such a great job in that. Yes. I love Lynn so much. The
1: Miyazaki movies are amazing yeah. and really the inspiration for resurrecting the animation department. I've been told by Jeffrey Katzenberg or, um he's a huge fan of Miyazaki. And so the idea that you can create these animated features that really have adult themes in them. Um, Miyazaki even says that he, he did things with animation because he didn't have the budget to do live action explosions and things like that like his stories um warranted so many special effects and so much um that it was just easier to do it with animation thank goodness that we have that animation (laughs) so when disney decided to um sort of broker a deal to be able to release the studio ghibli movies um in english they sort of had they had to revoice them and um yeah and it was um in addition to revoicing them, they had to also make them work for an American culture. So Lynn in the Japanese movie in Japan, unlike here, unfortunately, elders are very respected. And so Lynn was very strict. And it was just accepted that Sen would do everything she says because, um, because you respect your elders. That's the culture. But here, not so much. And so Who's Lynn and why would Sen listen to her? And so they wanted to create a character that was different than the Japanese character, where she's more streetwise, big sister, sarcastic. Oh. And and so they're like, why don't you go get that girl who played who played Meg? <laughs> and so that actually was an offer. <laughs>
0: well, there you go. And it
1: was so exciting to do.
0: I didn't realize how different it was from the Japanese original version.
1: Yeah, culturally. You know, they had to make it work for an American culture. So in addition to sort of having to match the lips who's speaking Japanese with English words, you also have to make it sound totally natural and, and add the attitude, right? Lynn's sort of like, you know, in public, she's like, yeah, come over here, little girl, you know, but in private, she's, she's kinder and gentler with Sen um, because she knows what it's like to be the new girl. And so you have to sort of find that which didn't exist in the original.
0: No. Now, are you still doing episodes of Steven Universe?
1: Steven Universe has just finished. Did it? So okay, I wasn't time. aware of that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: What was that like being on Steven Universe?
1: Super fun. Animation is always really fun um, because you get to be characters that you don't get cast in in real life. Meg was the first. You know, I didn't get cast as the, the sexy, fast talking dame, but in animation, she can look like anything and it's just your voice. You know, I did Lady in the Tramp too and I got to play a dog. <laughs> I just did an episode of Amphibia where I get to be a frog. And in Steven Universe, I get to be a giant woman who is a warrior and an alien and a mother. And all of these things combined so beautifully written and designed um, by Rebecca Sugar, who has created a mythology that I think, um, you know, matches any sort of Tolkien or Star Wars or uh, Harry Potter mythology. Like it is... It is deep, and um, you can mine a lot out of it. There's a lot of layers, and a lot of beautiful messages. And it was it was really an honor to be a part of that series.
0: I didn't know it was done. I don't I don't watch too many modern things that my kids do. I didn't know it was done.
1: Yeah, it had six seven seasons. So oh, it yeah, good really run.
0: Well. Yeah, no kidding. So what's coming up for you? Do you have anything coming out at all that you want to talk about? I know there's no more conventions for a while
1: when we're not um, in quarantine, I'm on tour with the Broadway Princess Party, which is Broadway's original Belle, myself, original um, Jasmine, Courtney Reed, original Cinderella, Laura Osnes, and our magical fairy god fairy, Benjamin Rahala, who's our musical director and the creator. And we branch out, we've got other girls too, um, Christy Altomar, who's Anastasia. We've got um, all kinds of different original Broadway princesses involved in the concert series. And we travel around and do that. We just put out a video about, uh, through Disney music, uh, where we did, I won't say I'm in love. Those are my, my besties on that video. <laughs> and uh, we are in the planning stages right now for, for a big, big tour. Um, awesome with a big corporation behind us so that's really exciting yeah so it's about to explode in a, in a big way so we're really really excited to be able to bring this to um, bigger audiences and to do it in large-scale theaters with a lot of technology and oh, so great. really really do this big
0: yeah. yeah oh man if you ever come to montana let me know
1: i sure will
0: susan seriously i'm a huge huge fan of your work so thank you so very much for your time. It was amazing chatting with you, and I wish you all the best. Hopefully you're staying healthy, happy, and sane while you're being thank quarantined. You
1: and Thank you so much for having me. This has been a joy. Such great questions and always fun to, to visit these little chapters in my life and, uh, and get to share it with, with folks who love animation and Broadway. So thank you. Thank
0: you. Can I have you end the interview as Meg?
1: Sure. Thanks a lot, Tim. Wonder boy. It's been a real slice. Thanks for listening to Saturday Morning Rewind. Please check them out on Facebook and Twitter. That's all, folks.